0: Today we're talking about communities, and specifically the church. But let's start with communities in general. In fact, why don't we do a little community building exercise? So, have a talk with your neighbour. What community... Yeah, if, you, if you're a little bit far away, you're allowed to move to find a neighbour, that's okay. What communities are you part of? What's distinctive about those communities? What's their purpose? What's their focus? Why do they meet together? And when they gather, what do they do together? Okay? What's distinctive about them? What do they do together? Why do they meet? Have a talk. Okay. That'll do. There we go. Uh, someone want to volunteer? Someone want to volunteer what they talk about? Someone volunteer? Volunteer. Yo. Gaming community. Gaming community. Fair enough. What? What? Okay. So, what do they do together? Why do they gather? They gather to play games. They gather to play games. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Formal? Informal? Someone else want to volunteer something? No one? Right? So yep. Yep. Money. So work, yes, yeah, so yes, so, yeah, so they, they gather they gather together to make money. That's right. So work our work, work for most of us is a community. Anyone else have anything they want to add? Yes. Yeah. Aged care. Aged care, yes. So who's your community and what do they do? Yep. And Yep. Yep. So yes. So there's various things, various communities we're involved with, various purposes. But as I said, today we're going to focus on a specific community, namely the church. So first we'll look at the brand new church in Jerusalem just after Pentecost. Then we'll talk about us as a church community. And finally, we'll consider what examples we can draw from the early church and some practical ways to keep growing together as a church community to God's glory. They ready? Let's go. So come back with me to AD 33 or thereabouts in Jerusalem in the Middle East. So Jesus, Jesus is put to death. And then Jesus is raised to life again. Wow. And then 40 days later, 40 days later he's gone up to heaven. And the disciples, the disciples have been told to go back to Jerusalem and wait. So the disciples and Jesus' most loyal followers, that's about 120 of them in all, they're gathering in Jerusalem each day or so and waiting and wondering what happens next. Now, when you were a kid, did your parents ever tell you to go and wait in the car? Who, yes, yes, familiar? Happened to me and my siblings quite often. Usually it was just after church, and so the four of us are sitting in the car wondering how long until mum and dad turn up. I heard some snickers, that's obviously a common experience as well. But there were a couple of times when we were out and something happened. We kids usually weren't aware quite what, but dad and mum would give each other a concerned look and tell us, go and wait in the car. And so we'd be waiting in the car, a little bored, a little anxious, wondering what's going on and what's going to happen and what mum and dad are up to and if they'll be okay. So imagine it's sort of a bit like that for the first believers. I mean, they're adults, but still. The disciples and Jesus' followers, they're waiting in Jerusalem, rather stunned by the events of the past few weeks. That's an amazing bunch of events, those past few weeks. And now they're just waiting, wondering what's going to happen. Should they go about their lives? Should they stay together? Are the Jewish leaders going to come after them? Jesus hasn't forgotten about them, has he? And then one day, when they're gathered together for the Sabbath at the Feast of Pentecost, something happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and the apostles are empowered to speak the message of the resurrected Jesus. The message of death and resurrection, of judgment and salvation. And the apostles, the apostles speak. And people hear and respond. And suddenly, suddenly the church is no longer a community of 120, but of several thousand. So come with me to Acts 2, verses 40 and 41. Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. So across all our congregations, we're a church of a little over 120. Imagine if next weekend 3,000 showed up. And not just 3,000 visitors, but 3,000 saying, yes, this is what we want to devote our lives to. We want to be part of this community. That'd be awesome, right? Imagine the buzz if our community suddenly swelled to 3,000. On the other hand, some of the more practical minded of you are probably thinking, how would we cope? We had 120 and now we've got 3,000. What would we do with all those people? Honestly, if it happened, we probably would cope. We'd rent a big hall and there'd be a bunch of people busy organising things, but when you get a gathering like that, there's usually such a positive attitude that everyone pitches in and helps. But still, what do you do with a gathering of so many people? Well, let's look at what the early church did. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Let me read it to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now today I just want to focus on verse 42, which is a summary of the rest. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What did the church do together? They listened to the teaching of the apostles. They participated together for the common cause, for the fellowship. They shared meals together, and they prayed together. They devoted themselves to these four things. Let's run through that list again. Listening, participating, eating, praying. Now, a couple of the things on that list are common for any community. Firstly, Communities participate together. That's what makes a community. If people aren't participating, you don't really have a community, you just got a badge. And by participating, I don't just mean attending meetings and having a snooze. Well, that might be participating if the goal of your community is to sleep under the stars. But for the most part, we clearly understand the distinction between hanging around and being involved. And the more involved everyone is, the more the community grows. Secondly, communities eat together. Look, any serious community makes meals part of their gatherings. Not necessarily every day, but also not never. So the Lions Club, it holds monthly meals. Your local cricket club holds barbecues after matches and runs an end of year presentation dinner. Workmates, workmates go out for lunch together and if you never join in there's this feeling that you're missing out on part of the team. Families families typically eat together, and extended family gatherings, well they almost always involve a meal. Now some of these meals, some of them are organized in special events and some are not, but eating together is one of the key ways we humans express community. Sometimes it's dressed up, and sometimes sometimes it's the casual nature of enjoying necessary downtime together that highlights our community and our common participation in the community's goals. The other two marks the other two marks of the early Christian community, they're distinctly Christian. They listened to the apostles' teaching and they prayed. Now in one sense, listening is part of many communities. I don't mean listening to each other, which is important. But listening to the leaders of the community remind everyone of the community's purpose. It might be a story, a pledge, a pep talk, a history, a State of the Union address. Listening to the leaders is a way the community maintains its focus and its cohesion. But it's not just the leaders, it's the content of the message that defines any community that's more than just a gathering. And for the first church, and we as the church today, we're guided and defined by the message of Jesus Christ as given by his apostles. It's the message of the apostles that makes the the Christian community distinctly Christian. You can't substitute the teaching of Jesus and his apostles for another teaching and remain, in any sense, Christian. A football club talks football. A Labour Party branch meeting talks politics. And the church, the church talks Christ. And then there's prayer. Praying is a distinctly religious activity. A community prays because it believes that it's a small part of the work of a supernatural power. A football club, it stands or falls on its own effort. A political movement stands or falls on its own effort. A charitable gathering stands or falls on its own effort. From a worldly perspective, your family stands or falls on its own effort. But the church, the church is the outworking of God's effort. Prayer is a distinctly religious activity as it marks the community as depending on something, someone, far beyond the community itself in power and influence. And for the church, prayer is a distinctly Christian activity for it declares that we are first and foremost dependent on God's power and part of God's plan. Peter didn't bring about Pentecost. James didn't bring about Pentecost. The 120 working together didn't bring about Pentecost. God acted through his spirit. And so the church prays. Peter didn't grow the church from 120 to 3,000 in a single day. The 120 believers didn't grow the church from 120 to 3,000 in a single day. God used them, but the power and the will and the action were God's. And so the church prays. Now, it's easy to be united when something is new and novel and exciting. When you first try a new hobby or a new game or a new restaurant or a new car or a new house or a new wife, it's easy to be excited. It's new and exciting, and you just want to spend all your time doing it or thinking about it or being with her. But it doesn't always last, does it? What was fun and relaxing has become tedious and hard work. That glorious big backyard needs to be mowed and tended. Her way of squeaking when she sees something exciting was once cute but is now, well, irritating. What was once confidence is now arrogance. What was once laid back is now lazy. What was once unflappable is now uncaring. When we're in a good mood, we'll overlook many little annoyances but once the novelty wears off, is that it? Was our excitement just folly? Do we abandon our past love and look for something new? Now, unless you think that the core issue is that the early church was spiritual and we are not, this was an issue in the early church as well. In Acts 6, only a short time after Pentecost, A dispute arises when the Greek-speaking Jews complain that the native speakers are not properly looking after the Greek widows. And yet the church continues to grow. In Acts 15, there are debates about what Gentiles must or must not do to be part of the church. And then Paul and Barnabas have a fight, a big one. And yet the church continues to grow. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul has to command them against idleness and bludging off the common purse. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And yet the church continues to grow. In most of his letters, Paul has to exhort the Christians to actively love one another rather than pursue their own interests. And yet the church continues to grow. Problems and issues do not come up because we have a lack of community, but because we have a community. We humans are sinful and we have fallen. If you wish to live without the trials and struggles of other people, go live as a hermit. The only way to avoid conflicts with other people is for there to be no other people. But that's not much of a life. We as humans are built for community. And we as Christians are built for community and called to community. And remember that we are being called to be God's people, not because we are already good, but because we're forgiven and being made good. Sanctification is a process, not a precondition. Every brother and sister in this room still wars with their sinful nature just as you do. I mentioned newlyweds earlier, so let me return to that illustration briefly. The glorious naivety of the newlyweds will wear off sooner or later. If you're married to someone like me, possibly quite a bit sooner. But that newlywed feeling, while awesome, is not love. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross because he and his father loved us. Do you think that Christ went to the cross because he was still enjoying the novelty of running around as a human? it was such a new and wonderful experience that he was willing to do anything, whatever, for us. No. Salvation through sacrifice was the Father's plan before the creation of the world. The Son went into it willingly with his eyes fully open. There was no delighted naivety in Jesus. He knew what he was doing and why and just how much it would cost. And yet Jesus did it Because he loves us like the Father loves us, and he chose to put that love into practice. People don't fall out of love. They forget to practice love, or they choose not to practice love. Scripture doesn't call us to feel love, it calls us to love. It doesn't call us to feel prayerful, it calls us to pray. It doesn't call us to be entertained by the teaching of Christ and His apostles. It calls us to listen and obey. It doesn't call us to feel sorry for our sinfulness. It calls us to repent and believe. Scripture doesn't call us to feel thankful. It calls us to be thankful. Choose love. Choose prayer. Choose listening. Choose repentance. Choose thankfulness and do them. Love grows when you practice it, not when you wait for it. Remember the four marks of the early church? They listened to the teaching of the apostles. They participated together for the common cause. They shared meals together. They prayed together and they devoted themselves to these things. Devoted, they made a choice. They chose to do this. We can choose all these things. We can choose to do them. We might feel like it, or we might not. But they are all habits that we also can devote ourselves to. And when we devote ourselves to them in Christ's name, and for his honour and glory, we will grow as individuals and as a church community. Doing good works leads to more good works. So, what might these things look like? Listening to the teaching of the apostles. Look, in my opinion, both Joe and David are pretty good at preaching the scriptures. When they stand up here of a Sunday, they're not here to make you happy. They're here to declare the glory of God Almighty and spur his people, us, to repentance and holiness. So come along and listen. But you're not limited to this day and this building. Children, ask your parents, read the scriptures to me. Wives, ask your husbands, read the scriptures to me. Parents, invite your children, come, read the scriptures with me. Husbands, invite your wives, come, read the scriptures with me. Friends, gather together to read the scriptures together. Teach each other from the Scriptures. For the Scriptures hold the teachings of the apostles and prophets and are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Participating in the fellowship. This isn't fellowship as in hanging out, but the fellowship as a group devoted to a purpose. That said, you can't participate if you're not here. Come to church. Stay for morning tea. Join a Bible study group. But let's go further than that. When the wardens ask for people to help with maintenance, come along. When Mel West and whoever else does rosters is looking for people for morning tea or supper, contribute. When David asks people to give out flyers, take some. Commit and deliver on your commitment. But. don't get so caught up in doing stuff inside the church that you forget the church's mission. The church is about growing by bringing more people under the lordship of Christ. Participate by helping inside and participate by helping take the gospel out. Sharing meals together. I'll start easy. Stay for morning tea or supper. The early church had some sort of Passover or Lord's Supper meal, and that's important. But when they broke bread in their homes and ate together, it wasn't a ritualised memorial meal, it was eating together. So, eat together. If you're not sharing meals with your fellow Christians, you're not really in community. But I don't have meals with anyone here. Then invite someone. Or if you do already, look for those who need an invitation but I'd be embarrassed to have someone over. Look, Libby and I have a really nice house, but between three children and the general busyness of life, we quite often manage to hide it. And yet, we still manage to have visitors. Your Christian brothers and sisters want to share with you, not admire your house. Leave some toys out. Let there be evidence of disorganisation here and there. It'll make them feel at home, and will guard you all against pride and envy. Finally, finally remember to practise charity. Sure, it's easy to invite David over. He's influential, he's stylish, he's funny, and he only belches when it's socially acceptable to do so. <laughs> but, but think about this, who needs you to invite them over? Not because it's in your interest to do so, but simply because you can. Christian community and Christian charity go together. Last but not least, pray. Pray in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In the name of Jesus Christ, pray. Pray when you feel like it. Moreover, pray when you don't feel like it. Pray alone, pray with your family, pray with your friends, pray with those who need it. Pray. Ask God for what you need. Thank Him for His provision. Pray for God's name to be glorified. Praise Him for His glory. Come before Him in humble repentance. Thank Him for His great mercy and the provision of His Spirit. Pray for holiness. Thank Him for that he is trustworthy. Pray. So, those are some thoughts to get you started. So, as you go, as you stay for morning tea or supper, think about how you can devote yourselves to God and his church and to be part of his community. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Go in God's name and for his glory and may the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved.